Love Talk Radio. I'm here. Hello, hello to our off-the-shelf audience. We're actually just going live to our off-the-shelf audience. I want to say good morning to you. Oh, my goodness. I'm running around like crazy this morning trying to get on the show so I can connect with our special guests before the show actually goes live. And I didn't make it in time. So by the time I got on, it's like five seconds before your show starts. (laughs) Okay. <laughs> this, this, this kind of morning, this kind of morning, but okay. we're going to have a great show today. And to our listeners, I, I want to welcome you to Blog Talk Radio. We're actually also at Blake Radio off the shelf for this Saturday, February the 4th. I so enjoy being here with you every Saturday morning, even if I don't finish working on Friday the 1 in the morning. <laughs> I love getting up and doing off the shelf. For those who is your first time tuning in to Off the Shelf, I want to introduce myself. I'm your host, Denise Turney, and as I always say, I am coming to you live from the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And thank you, thank you, thank you for your support. We had a wonderful year last year here at Off the Shelf, and and, and we look forward to another great year. It's our eighth year this year. And I also encourage you not to let another day pass before you pick up a copy of Long Walk Up, and that is my, actually I would say my latest book, but my new book will be out in a couple of weeks. But Long Walk Up is a very moving and inspirational book about a young girl who is orphaned in Africa after her mother passes from malaria, and you get to journey with her as she goes through her challenges and the ups and downs, and they are some hard ones, and what keeps her going, what keeps this little girl going as she steps into a marvelous destiny that at the beginning you it just does not look good, but she keeps going, and it's a very encouraging and inspirational book that can encourage you, whether you starting a business and you're going through some of that e-myth, that's another great book, some of that e-myth stuff, and you want to keep going, Long Walk Up is a book that can help you to do that. And you can pick up a copy of Long Walk Up today by visiting Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, Walmart, any bookstore online or offline. If you don't see it, just ask the clerk for it, and they can order a copy for you because it's carried by the largest book distributors in the world. And look, 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 look out for my new book, Love Pour Over Me. I'll let you guys know on Off the Shelf as soon as as it's on the market, so you can go get a copy of it. It's a wonderful, wonderful mystery uh, and love story. And now let us go and meet our very special off-the-shelf guest. And our special guest today has been on off-the-shelf before. She, I always talk about her book, The Ebony Tree, which I love, and her writing. If you read anything by her, you will see, oh, my God, her talent just comes pouring out. And and who is that? That special guest is Maxine Thompson. And Maxine is a woman who diversifies. I remember years ago when she, I would hear her say, you have to have multiple streams of income, multiple streams of income. And she walked out that, the very thing she speaks about, she walked it out herself. She's a literary agent. She's an editor. She's a radio talk show host. And she is a writer, and she contributed to the book Secret Lovers and Never Knew Love Like This Before, those anthologies. She's also the author of the books, The Ebony Tree, one of my all-time favorites, and I'm putting her up there, and I've read probably hundreds and hundreds, if not over a 1,000 books in my lifetime so far. I'm putting up her up there with the best writers in the world. I love that book. The Ebony Tree, I just love it. Hostage, other books she has authored include Hostage of Lies, and her latest is L.A. Blues, which we're going to talk about here on Off the Shelf today. Maxine would absolutely love it if you visited her today at www.maxinethompson.com, and that's M-A-X-I-N-E-T-H-O-M-P-S-O-N.com, maxinethompson.com. Welcome to Off the Shelf, Maxine. Hi, Denise. We go so far back. I think we met online around 1999 or 2000. Yes. And I I want to commend you and thank you for staying in the trenches for uh, self-published and independent writers. And now the day has come. I'm seeing we're 15 major New York Times bestseller 
list wow. in the USA Today bestsellers list. These were self-published writers, and, you know, we know of the stories. Um, one, I wish I, I kept the paper. I was staying in a hotel for two months while I'm back in my home now. I had uh, renovations being done on my oh, home. Okay. And um, so while I was in the hotel, they threw away the USA Today, and they had another author who made 300000 before taxes that was self-published. She was a mystery writer. And then, of course, we all know the Amanda Hawking story, but most of the writers now are taking their careers into their own hands. I have some books that are self-published, like my Hush Hush Secrets of Writing Fiction that sell, and I'm in five different anthologies, and I published one for my writers group, Saturday Morning Anthology, and they're available as e-books on, and you can just put in Maxine Thompson and you can see my books on um, Amazon. But I was watching Shark Tank last night, and mm-hmm. I, I just became acquainted with the show, sad to say, while I was sitting in this little hiatus. During, and I also had a broken leg at my age. Oh, my goodness. Nothing to play with. But anyway, it's taking longer to heal, too. So if you break your leg, break it before 60. That's what I got to <laughs> Before you get borderline sugar. So anyway, oh I wrote my novel, L.A. Blues, too, while I was, uh, you know, so I mean, it was all good. I needed to slow down and reassess where I was going because the world and the literary world is changing so fast. And one yes. of the things I learned from Shark Tank is that too many writers do not take this as a business. I've made uh, one writer six figures and others half behind that. But and now the ones who really are out there pushing their books, they're getting offer after offer. I get four or five checks a year for them that are their royalties, but then some are only getting their uh, advance checks, and then they don't earn them out, and they don't do anything. Then they're mad at me. They're mad at mm-hmm. me. And I'm seeing a thing of people want to blame the agent. They want to blame the publisher. But it's how you work this. This is a business. And think of Shark Tank. They'll buy, they'll bid and fight over the last night. It was a bar of soap where they can sell <laughs> millions of units. Well, books are the same way. Books like um, the one, the girl with the dragon tattoo, is sold over $50 million the last um, wow. This guy died when the books came out. He did all three, the trilogy, and they're fighting over the fourth book that his girlfriend has. That's another story. But the thing of it is, is that books can be sold. They're like wine; they can sell. They have a shelf life that can be, you know, Charles Dickens just turned two his two hundredth year anniversary, mm. and they say three hundred and something movies have been made from his books, and he had fifty. Wow. So wow. we really have to start taking our books more serious as a business. Don't just come to an agent, oh, give me a book deal, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. But then when you get the book deal, you go sit down and think that the book's going to sell itself. It's not going to happen. And you can right. sell. One girl sold 80,000 books I read about her on LinkedIn with just doing blogs, going on top blogs, having the book bloggers help her sell her book. You don't have any excuse now for not being able to sell books. You do not have to go on book tours. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 and I agree with you. And you know what? It, I was ri- doing an interview for Madame Noor, one of the um, periodicals that I write for, and mm-hmm. one of the one of the ladies, she's an interior designer, and she's been on HGTV and CNN and TV One, et cetera, et cetera. And she said one of the books she read, I was asking her, you know, about the challenges and rewards of being a business owner. And uh, she said one of the books that she found very helpful, and she didn't. She recommended every entrepreneur, which I think an author who doesn't have another job. They're so they all of their income comes from the sale of their books. Then I consider you an entrepreneur. If you have another job that that, that helps to fund your writing, then maybe not so much so. But if 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 you're earning your whole income off of writing, I consider that to be an entrepreneur. And that book she said she recommended was E Myth. And it talks about, and it kind of piggybacks on what you said, it talks about, although I haven't read the whole book, I did check the website out last night, it talks about how most entrepreneurs are start out as technicians, a writer, uh, uh, able to, a hairdresser, uh, a, a baker, you're able to cook, you know, good cakes or bake good cakes or cook pies or cook food, but you don't know how to run a business. And that's what the, the guy in email said, a lot of, a lot of, People that are great technicians, and other people tell them, "Oh, you're so good at this. You should, you should do it for a living." And they do, and then they sometimes go into debt 
because they don't know how to run a business. They they're very their technical skills are point on. Point on. They can write an awesome novel, but they don't know how to market it. So that's that's what uh, uh, that book is about. And and it kind of says what you say. Some people they're a technician, and then after that, somebody else has got to almost pick it up and run with it. But if you want to self-publish, uh, you you have to know that that term represents. I'm a writer and I'm an entrepreneur. If if not, then go to a mainstream publisher, because that's the only way that you're going to get your books. If they put a lot of marketing money behind it, which is rare even today, mainstream right. publishers don't. They don't generally. They don't generally put. You got to be like a Stephen King or somebody, and his name alone really sells his books. Right. They don't have He's to really branded. push He's his He's got books. the brand. What it is yeah. now is publishers are more distributors and manufacturers. They manufacture their book and they distribute it. And yes. many of their big writers have left and become self-published with the yeah. audience they built. So I tell writers that are doing their e-books on the side now, which I encourage, and I make not one dime off of it when the writer I'm the agent for is selling. I got one that's making several thousand every two months now, but it's really helped her. But I told her, your e-book, your books that... We're not sure, let's just put it this way, it's a little suspect sometimes as to how, just like the record companies, you don't always Mm -hmm. see your royalties like they should. Well, since that looks suspect, then you self-publish your book, all of a sudden tens of thousands are selling. It makes you wonder, now wait a minute. They always say I didn't make back my advance, but yet this is so that's yeah. another good gauge you can have yeah. for self-publishing. But it's also a launch you get from a company with a bigger distribution channel. You can use that because I've read of uh, one writer who turned down 500000 uh That's Seth Godin. He went to self-publishing after he got established as a New York Times author because they want to keep most of the money. So if the big authors are even yeah. turning to it, but they use the use the – uh, mainstream publisher as a launching pad, and right now they're in an uproar. They're they're running scared, and they're the money is tight, very tight. So they're not going to invest in you if you don't have a platform, if you don't have a blog. Like just before the show, I put you on Twitter. I had about six groups on there, and I think that was a total of maybe seven, eight thousand people in those groups and my group of people. And then I put it, not Twitter, but you know, Twitter it'll go through. I'm on another program that'll put it through my Facebook, but Facebook. I put it on Twitter, mm-hmm. now I put it on LinkedIn. LinkedIn is great for hooking up with other self-publishers. they got a lot of talk think tanks on there where you can learn ideas. People are giving their experience and linking it to their business. It's not just hard sell. It's a lot of information. Uh, Judith Collins, Judy Collins um, Cullins, who does, uh, and I bought her book almost six years ago, and I still use it, How to Write Your Book, Your e-book or any book fast. Well, she um, swears by LinkedIn. She said it really grew her business, and I've been using them more, you know, where you can connect and talk. You're not just up there to do hard sell. You're up there to find out information. That's where I'm learning all these about these different writers who are making decent living. Uh, J.A. Conrad, he sold $100,000 worth of books just between December, but he has positioned himself for that. So you can go mm-hmm. to his website and learn a lot about ebooks. J, and it's J period A period, and then Conrath is K O N R A T H. He started with New York, and now he has some books with New York books that have been rejected by New York. He is just, he has big followings for his different mystery series, and um, he's also had his agent has sold some of his ebooks. Is audio books. I mean, you can learn a lot off of his website. I've been going there for about wow. a year too. There's so many ways for writers. This is our time now. When I yeah, no, I agree with you. Yeah, ninety five, nineteen ninety five. I had to have the paper all over my living room floor. Had to take my cover at a telephone booth place and have it. You know, because I was just mm. determined. I was tired of rejection. Then eventually, in a couple of years, I paid eight thousand. That I lost most of the money. Trying to print up a thousand books and books was filled with mistakes. I did my own cover; it was horrible. You know what you can't do? Pay somebody, pay a good graphic designer, the good formatter. And uh, but I wasted money. Now you don't have to spend that type of money. You can use print on demand, and ebooks don't cost anything. But you do need to put 
graphic designer for your cover, and you need a good editor. There's nothing yeah. like a good editor, and I'm a content no, and, editor. Okay, and it you makes a so difference. Many, and I'm a ghostwriter. So, I ghostwrite a lot too, so that's my main business: ghostwriting and content editing. That's where the biggest part of my money comes from. Wow, you do so. You do, and I like I was saying at the intro. I remember years ago hearing you say, and it was through a, a woman that you had worked with who kept saying you have to create multiple streams of income. And this interior designer I was telling you that I interviewed, although I interviewed several other uh, business owners for Madam Noor, one of my clients, um, I asked her, how did you get through the re- when the recession, the, bu- the real estate market bust, and uh, or the mortgage, you know, the home market bust? And she said, diversify. She started doing speaking on eco-friendly homes and you have to diversify. And and again, it goes back to what you said. I want to I want to ask you before we go any further, before the show ends. We got about 45 more minutes. Will you read a, a excerpt from your latest book LA Blues? Are you able to do that? Yes, I have it right here. And you know, I sent you a copy of it and it came back and it was there were just so many things going on. I haven't had a chance to send it back out to you. I'm looking at no. the envelope. I said, this is what happened to her book. But, yes, I can read an excerpt from it. So good. I, I, I do appreciate that. And I want to talk about L.A. Blues for our off-the-shelf listeners. You are just a wealth of knowledge from the business aspect of writing, which writers would just, oh, my goodness, benefit so much from connecting with you. And, again, your uh, Maxine's website is www.maxinethompson.com. But I want to make sure that uh, uh, our listeners learn about your, some of your previous works and uh, your your new book, the LA LA Blues. So I want to I want to start asking you when now you said you just took two months, staying in a hotel, your house is getting renovated, you broke your leg. God bless you. <laughs> oh my goodness! And you just keep you just keep going. When, I've been a I mean, caregiver for three years until recently. Oh. I was caregiving for my husband who has uh, Huntington's and dementia. And um, so it was like that was just the crown insult when I broke my leg. But oh. it was the universe saying, sit down, slow down. I had started taking senior lying death. And, oh, I was just so happy to be free from that caregiving. <laughs> oh, you my know? goodness. And, and there was a lot of guilt there, but now I'm really happy because he has prospered and I mean he's flourished gained a lot of weight where he's at now because there are people who are trained to take care I mean there's a whole right. generation of people that are having we never lived this long to do a lot of times these diseases were in our family but uh, we're seeing more of it like in my family cancer my parents didn't have it but it's also the environment now it's running through our family. I lost a sister to lung cancer about four years ago, and it's mm. just. But what I'm saying is, we're living longer. So my thing is, yes. one of my goals is longevity. But I want longevity with quality of life. So to right. that end, I plan to join Weight Watchers, and um, you know how good Jennifer Hudson. And I'm not doing it for looking good at this age. I'm doing it for my health and my longevity. Right. And I do a lot of health things, from acupuncture to this heart treatment where it's called global cardio care where they pump to keep your blood pressure and your circulation and it has helped people who've had strokes but I do it as preventative because you if we're going to be living longer we can write longer there's an uh, author Barbara I can't think but it's put old on hold is her book and also her website mm-hmm. and I've written on her blog and it's saying how people have more you know you don't need to be sitting in a nursing home Unless you develop, you know, dementia, you know, those type of diseases, you should be able to use your brain up until you die. Most writers write today in their 90s, you know, a lot of the ones that Mm -hmm. have just passed, they were really old. And so this is a career you don't have to retire from. And then retirement age has been pushed back. People are working longer, and they're happy when they're working longer. And, you know, with me Mm -hmm. being a senior now, I really, I'm so happy I lived to get this age. The first of the month, we buried two 21-year-olds in our family, and one on my husband's side of the family, and they both were tragic deaths. And, you know, so I know, but I always say that day was set the day they were born, and we all have a limited time on this earth. So you want to take this time. You want to leave a legacy. A book is a legacy that say, Mm -hmm. I was here. I was a witness to this. And there is so much we can write and bring as backstory 
with this economy, some of the best enduring books are from the Depression. Um, mm-hmm. What's the book? Imitation of Life, I think by Fanny Hill. There's just so many books that were written, uh, The Grapes of Wrath, during the Depression, and it captured that moment in history of how people were really hungry. The Dust Bowl in Oklahoma is why grape, Grapes of Wrath, they had to move westward. And I think, uh, you know, like our famous books, even from slavery, um, up from slavery, or those are ways of not only telling the story but capturing history that would not have been written. As African Americans, we don't have enough of our history written. Just like um, Red Tales I went and saw with my daughter last weekend, and it made me realize, like she was just crying all through it, it made me realize how the African American soldiers were given the worst planes, but yet they were crucial in us winning World War II. They were crucial African-Americans from the American Revolution to the Civil War to World War One and to whenever we came into the war, that's when that was the tilting point. So what does mm-hmm. that tell you with against all odds, racism, discrimination, enslavement? We are some powerful people. We're seeing it now. I mean, some gifted, talented people. We're seeing it now in the book industry, in the fashion industry, in the hip hop, and which I admire the hip hop industry for the fact that so many of them um, have taken their records and turned it into businesses like Queen Latifah and the guy that's oh, on yeah. the Shark Tank. He did yeah. the boo and so that's why they came to him. But he said his his connections come from his resources and the people he knows and the distribution. So you got he knows a lot of people in the um, different music industry that when they go and model the clothing line that helps. And, you know, now he's saying that clothes aren't selling like they were because kids now rather spend, instead of the way we spent, the kids used to spend 300 on gym shoes, they want to spend all this money on iApps and 700 And they, instead of meeting people at the mall, they're meeting everybody they need to meet on Facebook. <laughs> so you've yeah, got to be up yeah, to date with what's yeah. going on in this. Yeah. We have to be in a state of change. We cannot sit and say how things work. People are coming to me and say, well, yeah. I got a million-dollar book deal back then. You know, I've had a client tell me today, it ain't like that now. You know, right. you got to know, there's a million books being published in a year now, so the competition is fierce. Mm-hmm. You know, things, things are, are always changing, and that happens with major corporations. Look at IBM. They used to be a developer of computers. Now they're more in the services industry, surfacing the, the, the middle the middle market, the the mid range business, they've completely changed, and they had to do that to survive. And that's just a major corporation that was bringing in billions a year. Everything does change, and you just have to see what's emerging and and have good good front vision and good peripheral vision. Can you give our, our can you give our listeners here at off the shelf, Maxine, a brief synopsis of L A Blues without giving the whole story away? Can you just give a brief synopsis of the book? Well, I'll read the back cover. Growing up in foster care, Zipra Z, which is her nickname, Saldano, never dreamed of becoming a police officer. But after she's rescued from a hostage situation during the L.A. riots, she chooses a career in law enforcement. After 10 good years on the force, Z is involved in a domestic homicide case gone awry. Her partner is killed, and Z is fired when alcohol is detected in her system. It's two long years before she gets sober and opens her own private investigation firm. Now, surely her former foster mother is in need of Z's help. Someone has murdered her grandson, a high school Mm. basketball star, and she wants Z to find out who did it. Z soon finds herself in deeper trouble than when she was kicked out of the LAPD. What she discovers is a conspiracy much deeper than anyone would believe, and she finds her own life in danger. Wow. And, wow. And uh, see, this book has a personal kind of thing to me. I, I made, She's totally made up and told in first person, this is my first foray into crime fiction. Um, my husband was a former Detroit and LAPD, so. Okay, um, I just I, want to ask you that. Okay. So I, 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 I have a kind of in inside information on the, the psyche of a police. And it's uh-huh. crazy, let me tell you that. <laughs> I, you know, because I was married before he became a police. And it it does have an effect on a person to see, because they work in the cesspool cess of humanity. And it right. has an effect on a person. And that's mm-hmm. what happened with Z, where she became an alcoholic. 
And um, and I had said when I wrote the book in my forward, I got a long forward because I felt like God inspired it. But one of the things that came to me was uh, the story started back in October 1984 when as a 30-some-year-old social worker, I wrote with two LAPD officers as part of the DPSS Eric Emergency Response in the Community Project. We were responding to a case where my colleague and I wound up placing three children in the middle of the night. I've forgotten a lot of what transpired that night other than the fact that I worked 16 hours straight. This I do recall, though, a sight I will remember as long as I live, a young black woman's corpse slaying in the floor with a knife in her back. Her husband mm-hmm. had stabbed her to death. That's why we had to place the children. This image has haunted me for years, thus unknowingly. Chapter 1 of L.A. Blues was conceived. So that, you know, I mean, a lot of this, Now, that really happened to you? No, the the I have a scene where Z has to respond oh, okay. to a woman that's been Because I know you worked, I know you also worked, okay, it's, okay. I was a social worker, but I used to yeah. ride with the police as part of this project. And I also feel like this book, I had always thought I would write a story of, from my experience as a social worker. But as I say, I, the challenge was to write from who was on the other side of my caseload. So I went back in my mind, and I created this character who could have been one of my kids. We could only see them, but what was it like to be a foster kid? And, you know, and so I took that, and I spent one year when I was 16 living with a white family as a foster child. I was actually like a student exchange from Detroit, and it was a one-way exchange because nobody wanted to come to Detroit in 67. (laughs) (laughs) And I lived in Traverse City, Michigan, which is like – so I kind of know what it felt like, but I said, I have seen some good foster homes, and a lot of the books I edited that are street fiction, they always show bad foster homes. So in this book, she has a really great foster home, who later, and I mean, this this lady is her mentor, her rock, her linchpin to love. And so, I mean, and I just wrote book two, which I realized I dug a little deeper into her family background, but in book one, Z is just becoming a private investigator. Tell us the title. What's the title of book one? What's the title of book one, Maxine? Uh, It's just L.A. Blues, and book two is L.A. Blues two, and the subtitle is "Slipping into Darkness." Her brother is kidnapped at the end of book one, so that's book two, solving this kidnapping. (laughs) Wow! How long was she on the force before she was forced out? How long was Uh, she? She was on the force for ten years, and so. That's kind of one of the, what you call it, the departure from the norm. I start with a prologue, and that's what I'm going to read from. The prologue is set during 1992, when she's 18 years old, and this was a turning point which made her become a police. Oh, so she started right out of high school. Well, she became a police when she was 21. But the idea, when she went through the riots and all that, that's what gave her the idea to become a police. And I'm hoping that this series can touch on a lot of the issues in L.A. One of my big issues is the death of young black men, and nobody's seen it. It's become so common now, nobody even cares. Almost every week it's a funeral, and now they even make their T-shirts. I just got the uh, obituary from Detroit where it's almost like, rest in peace, and you know, like, they almost, and this guy yeah. on his obituary is wearing a rest in peace with one of his friends, and now he's dead. So I said that's mm. almost becoming like a self-fulfilling prophecy. My spirit cries, and I'm haunted over all this young blood, young talent lost, and no one cares. And it's African-American and Latino, long as it's black and brown blood running in the streets, no one cares. Malcolm X talked about that. And so, you know, that it would become like it's a norm, that it's all right. There would be an outcry if this happened, if young this young technician came to my house yesterday, and I prayed over him as he left out. That he he looked twenty two, but he was twenty six. That he and he lives in Watts. That he doesn't end up being a statistic. You know, here he's trying to make mm-hmm. something of his life. And so everybody that gets killed in these drive by, they're not gang related. A lot of people are collateral. Oh no, family. no, yeah, yeah. And and but that goes back to parenting a lot, Maxine. That mm-hmm. a lot of that does. I mean, at some point. We have to take accountability for ourselves in every area of our lives, and to keep making babies and and then and then getting angry and saying it's the government's job to raise the kids I'm making, is 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 the church's job to raise the kids I'm making, is the is the school's job? How about no, what your is job? Is, my book, her mother was a crip, 
And so that I'm telling you, part of the story was spawned by a female crip I met who and then I went online and started researching. There are a lot of female crips and female gangbangers. They can be just as treacherous as men. And mm-hmm. I think from what I've seen and the research I've done, many kids turn to gangs because they don't have a family at home and that becomes yes. their surrogate family. And yep. I was showing the alternative that, and it's sad that so many of our children are the victims. I, I dedicated my book to the children who have been the victim of molestation, drugs, mm. prison industry, because a lot of kids and our children, I hate to say, are the most affected. We have the highest rated African American. We have the highest rated children in the foster care system. I worked for that for 23 years with kids who were in foster care or either getting ready to go to foster care or in relatives' placement. And... So I said, this is my way of trying to give back, because a lot of these kids have grown up with a sense of not feeling entitled, right. and I tried to make Z. And my thing is, my main theme is you don't have to be a victim. Too many of our kids have grown up feeling like they're a victim and that they can't make a difference and they can't change the circumstances. And I'm passionate about that. No matter what you've gone through, you can change your circumstances. You do not have to be defined by if your mother was a cripple, if she went to prison, that's what happened to Z's family. But a good foster mother, I'm also commending the good foster parents out there who have made a difference, who stood in the gap for these kids and helped raise a lot of these kids, go back home to these foster homes. Uh, I picked that up in um, book two that, you know, a lot of their pictures and graduation and all their milestones were taking place in foster right. homes, so you know we have a big issue in this community. It is up to us. Max, you there? I lost. I, Maxine, she, I think she maybe maybe technical. Not sure what happened, but she just dropped off the the line. Uh, L A Blues talking about her latest book, and I'm sure she'll connect back in in just a couple of seconds. We're talking about her latest book, L A Blues. And I was surprised to learn it's a series book, which that is a good way. Maxine is a is a businesswoman. I got to tell you, she is, as long as I have known her, she has been a businesswoman. As you could tell from earlier in the interview, she could probably give you so many advice and tips on how to either get your own books published or marketed. A series book, which we've had other authors come on and do series books, and there's Maxine, she's back. It's a good way to build an audience for your story, so you have somebody who's following along with your stories, book after book after book. Hey, Maxine, I'm just telling our listeners we must have had a um, little technical yeah. problem, and you dropped off. And I was just talking about your book and your business savvy, and how the uh, writing a series book is a good way to build momentum for your for a, a characters and to keep your book sales going and to build a strong audience for the the characters in this. It's like a, almost. Not so much like a soap opera or a TV sitcom, but in a, in a way it is where people want to know what's going to happen to the character next. And then you just get more and more and more and more readers who, who who keep buying the book to find out what's going to happen to the characters. That said, you would have to write some really strong characters to carry a series book. And it sounds like you have with your main character, her mother being in the crypts. And then do you delve into that much or you just tell readers uh, her mother was a crip, and how was she, Z, when she went into foster care? Did her mother raise her at all? Yeah, she was with her mother for nine years, so she's like got this dichotomy going. She's nine years where she was raised around smoke. I was reading the description. She thought that marijuana was like air freshener in the 40s. She thought so she was raised around all this mama's boyfriends. Then a tragedy comes. And she goes into foster care. So nine years in this this Baldwin Hills foster home, and Baldwin Hills is like the Black Beverly Hills of L.A. And so she was exposed to a whole different lifestyle. That made the whole difference in her whole outlook and frame of reference. And so she's got this, she's able to get on the street. She's got the street wisdom later as a detective. And, you know, and she took her LAPD thing, and that helped her as a detective. I've Saw a lot of new skills she had developed in book two, from Taekwondo to, to yeah. and she has to go to Brazil in book two. So, you know, it, it, oh, boy, it was it. it she's, I'm enjoying her, and from the different reviews I have, people fell in love with her. Like, I love Susetta Perkins. I'm her agent, but her review was, oh, when Z was going through this, and when she was endowed with alcohol, I was, come up, get back on your feet, you know. So yeah. she's the person you can root for. 
And she mm-hmm. has courage. One of the things Donald Moss in his book on writing the breakout novel, which has helped me as a content editor, and then he has a new one, the breakout novelist, um, he says, don't have your character be a whiner. She's got guts, you know, in the opening. She's about to be gang raped by three men, mm. and, and she's, like, bring it on. And you find out later she was a virgin. I, I'm giving away too much, you know, but <laughs> she wasn't scared. I've seen women right. like that. When I worked at InfoLine, I used to see, one of the things that inspired that one woman called me, she had been raped. I used to do rape, battered woman, suicide counseling on this uh, phone line before I got back on the streets as a social worker in L.A. And um, my first two years, you know, they didn't have, they weren't hiring. So I worked there for two years. But looking back, I hated the job, but I learned so much there. And I never forgot how the woman, she was asking for food and everything for her children. Then later on, I found out she had been raped. She didn't even worry uh-huh. about the rape. She just wanted to make sure she had food for her children. And Z mm. was trying to get food and money to her younger brother and sister into who were in foster care it was four of them that got split up. One brother's the crib, Kingpin, and that's the one that, you know, leads the book too. Uh, wow. One, two, she's lost touch with, and she has this guilt she's carrying because she feels like she's the reason the family was broke up. Because one thing, kids might call in things, they can call in rape or whatever, but when you break up a family, you're breaking up a unit that, that child will grieve that unit. They can be broken arm, everything else, but they, if they report it, they have a lot of guilt. But it was another thing she did that, you know, was the impetus to her family being wow. broken up. So she carried that guilt, then her partner, his death guilt. So, you know, it was a lot of things that issues wow. that she had to deal with. Yeah, and you, you give her, her background, and it sounds like the, the you definitely have enough cliffhanging events going on in her life that she could carry a series book. That said, are, are you ready to read a, a, an excerpt from L.A. Blues for off-the-shelf listeners? Yes, I'll read the opening uh, scene, some of it, not all of it. Okay, L.A. Riots, April 29, 1992, East Los Angeles, California, and I got her name, Zipra, also known as Z. Give me your money, mamacita. The punk had a cobra tattoo coiled on his right bicep, peeking out from under his sleeveless leather vest. He poked his gun, gangster style, directly in my face. Apparently, he was the spokesman for the group of gangbangers who surrounded me. His wool cap slid down close to his rust-colored eyes, and his scowl look was threatening. I was shook, but I tried to appear composed. I beg your pardon? I asked, stalling for time. You heard me. Did I stutter? Don't scream or I'll shoot you. The middle one, who was of medium height and sported a menacing bald head with a tattoo on his neck, leaned in and a vicious sneer curled on his lips. My pounding heart echoed in my ears and a gush of peace streamed down my legs. Why didn't I see this coming? Generally, I had intuition when it came to danger. My stomach quivered and I clutched my sloth and swap meat Gucci knockoff purse to my chest to try to calm my galloping heart. Um, I tell you, L.A. sucks. If it weren't for his sinister words, I would have sworn dude's mellifluous Hispanic accent sounded like a song. However, this was no love song. This was a siren of danger. The group of predators who, judging by their smooth faces, could have been anywhere from ages 13 to 19, meant business. See, this is what I'm talking about. Can't go nowhere and can't have nothing in L.A. Can't even be nowhere without some S.H. going down. This place ain't nothing but a bunch of wannabe gangbangers who think they own imaginary turf that really belongs to the city. I don't care what the TV says about Hollywood and the beautiful people living here. In my world, it was different. I couldn't believe I was being jacked right here in broad daylight on Caesar mm. E. Chavez Avenue. Then I'm going to skip down. Uh, what are you talking about? I decided to play dumb. My heart's palpitations almost drowned out my words. Don't make us have to kill you, the baby of the group snarled, his voice cracking. He was so young. Mommy, we seen you going in and cashing me a check. Mm. I didn't respond as my heart sank. Please, God, don't let me die. Just minutes early before, I pranced out of Dix's check cashing place, floating on cloud nine because I'd just gotten off work for the week and just got paid. I could feel the crush of fresh money pinned inside my bra. Okay, and they go, I'm going to skip down. Did you hear me? The medium-height one held his right hand and rubbed his thumb and forefinger together, pointing to my purse. Look, we don't want to hurt you, but give us that dinero, Mommy. As frightened as I was, I still kept on my game face. 
I don't got no money. I spoke in the vernacular I was used to before my foster mother, Shirley, taught me how to enunciate and speak proper English. My lead attacker grabbed my purse and snatched it open, dropping my tamales to the ground. When he didn't see any money inside, he flung it back at me. My purse hit me in the breast and almost knocked the wind out of me. I winced in pain as he growled in a grimace of disgust. We don't believe you. They began to speak in Spanish among themselves. Fortunately, language was no barrier for me since my current roommate and former foster sister of eight years, Chica, a Latina, taught me Spanish. Plus, my late father, who was part Spanish, although he was black and came from Belize, only spoke to me in Spanish when I was a little girl. Even when my attackers were kibbutzing among themselves in their native tongue, I understood them clearly. Let's check her car. Go ahead. I spoke back in Spanish. Then they followed her down, and they go to her car. Yeah, Mommy, you sure is fine, the taller one said as she cracked open my car door. I almost hate to rob you. Roberto, shut the F up, the short one snapped. (laughs) Stupid, don't use my name. Roberto came up out the car and slapped Shorty upside his head, reminding me of the three stooges. Meantime, the medium boy stood guard, still holding a gun and looking out for the police while Roberto scarred my uh, car. Bet be glad this ain't no initiation day, Shorty mumbled. I guess he was embarrassed mm. that Roberto slapped him upside the head. And that's when she'd tell. And he said, we should rape you. It's a little more thing saying that she knew what the initiation day meant. That's where they go out and shoot somebody just to be initiated yeah. to the gangs and say, so, as you know, and then you learn a little bit that she said, I probably would have been a second-generation crip myself, and perhaps money would have been no object because I wouldn't have been making that paper. But as a working stiff, broke as I stay, no way was I parted with my only and last hard-earned $200 plus the tips I earned as a waitress. And then they turned back to say, we should rape you, Roberto said. Suddenly a shift in the current of their intentions flashed as their eyes beamed hard with lust. Yeah, let's pull a train on her essay, Shorty jumped in. Hmm. I never took my eyes off the burner. Should I give up the money? No, I decided I needed my little hard-earned money. I didn't know where my bravado came from, but I did know my younger brother, Diggity, age 10, and my 9-year-old baby sister, Righty, as we call righteousness, who was born while my mother was in prison, were depending on me to come visit them in their different foster homes over the upcoming weekend. They always look for gifts. Go ahead, Poppy, knock yourself out. She's speaking in Spanish to them. The short the shorter one's neck craned around suspiciously suspiciously. What did you say? You serious? Yeah, which one first? I slid my hands down in a sexy, provocative manner between my long sinewy legs and showed through my polyester uniform uniform. Although I was standing at five foot nine, I was shapely. Come on and get it. Give it to me. Hey, I ain't got all day. What the F Roberto threw his hands up, <laughs> holding the other two back. Wait a minute, you too eager. I, wig- I wiggled my fingers in the air like a prostitute on a stroll, flagging down a giant. That's right, I'm only HIV positive, but take your chances, puppy. Who's going to go first? <laughs> Hurry up. Let's get it on. I even shimmy my shoulders. This bee is loco. <laughs> Roberto looked revolted, circling his right finger around his ear. He spit through the gap in his teeth in disgust. Que a strange voice interrupted my would-be attackers. I glanced up and was surprised to see a stranger who seemingly appeared out of nowhere. He was a slightly older Mexican guy, and then he tells them, Holmes, leave her alone. She's a civilian. She's not the enemy. They're the ones in Cement Valley who started this mess. Remember, La Familia. So this is the beginning wow. of her love story with uh, her person wow. who helped her. They, their lives become intertwined, and that's oh uh, my goodness, Maxine! <laughs> you got, you you've got so much going on, and I and I have to tell you again, as I tell our listeners, I have read you know your work from start to finish. You when you get into a story that you're writing, at least for me, I get all the way into the story. I, I got to tell you, you are you're you're, and even somebody listening to you just read that excerpt. You, you 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 are very good at creating a visual image of what's going on, and emotional the emotional impact of the scene scenes as well. I, I have never read a story of yours, and I've read books where I'm reading the book, and I so you know I can enjoy the book, but I'm not all the way in the story. For some reason, you're able to pull me all the way in your stories, and that's to me a mark of a good writer. I gotta I gotta ask you. You do you do you're doing so many things. You are doing so many things. You said now you're doing content editing and ghost writing. 
two questions. How does the fact that you're doing such a wide range of things help you as an author? And how do you think it might also create some challenges for you as an author? Well, I've always kind of uh, followed different cycles. Um, when I first became an agent, I wasn't hardly writing anything. That's why I wrote novellas for the anthologies, because I was building my literary agency. But now, because the economy is dictating that uh, the agency thing is slowing up, sort of like the real estate <laughs> market, mm-hmm. I have, in the last nine months, I started writing, ghostwriting memoirs for older people for this company and this is a Caucasian company so Mm -hmm. all the books have been Caucasian which was opening me up to a whole new market then yesterday uh, I got an email from this uh, lady who had just I just worked on Wahida Clark's book as a content editor and I had been doing that with Urban Books for three years and that was kind of it's always like I say editing and I do freelance so that has always been the mainstay of my business the editing but now they're saying that they're bringing somebody that's a celebrity. I don't want to give it away just yet. Mm-hmm. That's doing a book. So, and my goal is to ghostwrite for a celebrity because they'll start at fifty thousand. But this is a content edit. But still, it's mm-hmm. going to be the beginning to putting me on the radar of mm-hmm. celebrity. But the ghostwriting I'm doing for this small company is kind of my training ground. You know, I'm not making like I should be making because I have ghostwritten where I've made fifteen thousand. But mm-hmm. it's uh, teaching me how to put a memoir together really fast. I can do one now. I know what questions to ask because I tell everybody, we the people who make up America, the majority of us, are the unsung heroes. Oh, yes, we got the celebrity culture. We love celebrities. Mm-hmm. We love watching them, hating them when they fall. Witness the Kim Kardashian <laughs> thing. Um, you know, one minute we love you, one minute we hate you. But it's the people because a lot of people would say, well, my life is not important. I'm trying to get more African-American older people to tell their stories. But I've done one for an Amish woman who had to escape mm-hmm. from a cult. I'm, I'm wow. working on a CIA agent, and I've had two, three 90-year-olds that have told their stories. I said, Yo, you need to write your stories to tell us who are, because people are killing their children. They're going crazy because of this economy. Robbing banks, it has had, it's not bringing anything good. That's the sub plot in the subtext of uh, L.A. Blues 2, how the recession has affected people and making them do a lot of crazy things. People mm-hmm. who were honest are doing a lot of crooked. I mean, we got the Occupy Wall Street. We got the people who the they, the people who own everything. And it's becoming a big chasm between the haves and have not. And so this is having a big impact on how people are making different choices. Women, I've never heard of so many women killing their children. It's, and I know it's the stress. It has had a lot of stress. And so when people are writing these stories as older people, they can tell younger people how to make it. Like my mentor, Dr. Rosie Milligan, she came on my show. She said, tough times don't last, but tough people do. You know, it's things wow. like that you learn. And she's always had multiple business. She went back and got her nurse's license now. Does she does trust now? She's still doing the publishing and she does um, notary. <laughs> so mm. if you get ready to do Black Writers on Tour, which you can go to blackwriterson.tour. dot com. It'll be April twenty first here in Los Angeles at the Carson Center, and we start. She had stopped for a couple of years. She did one last year. It was a pretty good success. So she's back at that, and you know, and once again, it's put old on hold. This is when your power comes. I couldn't wow. have shared my writing talent with people when I was uh, in my 30s and my 40s. And I just, I really didn't become a better writer until my 40s. You know, I studied the craft. I won that thousand in 1989 in Ebony's first writing contest. Mm-hmm. They are doing yeah. the writer's group. I have studied the craft. This is 30 years of studying the craft. This was not like the way I, how I content edit now. Is I was able to deal with subtext. I looked at this other man's book. I told him, you're telling this from a male's point of view, yet this is a female. But women are not going to look at another person's cleavage, you know. So it's little subtle things like with I was telling them, look at the subtext that they use in Pulp Fiction. The two, Samuel Davis, I mean, Samuel Jackson and John Travolta, they're talking for, and, and you think they're talking about one thing, 
but they were on their way to go kill somebody. But because they're killers, they're not sitting there, yeah, we're going to plan this like that. Then they're in that apartment blasting. They talked about the boss's wife. They talked about hamburgers over in Sweden, just everything. And that's what I was showing different writers, how to use subtext. The world mm-hmm. is run on subtext. People say one thing and mean another. We can tell that oh, by the government. So oh these are the types of things that we, you know, I'm looking for people who want to write their memoirs that are older because they can give their wisdom. A lot of them have lived through World War One, World War Two, the Depression, the recessions, Vietnam, and how did they make it and still have mm. their sanity? And many of them are saying they're happy, they're content, they've got grandchildren, great-grand. Uh, one lady, her story, I called her, her story The Unsinkable Janet Hall. It was about her life and what she had gone through, and she has survived it all and been a business owner. She was the first of many, the first woman boat captain. So, you know, so many of us think our lives are not eventful or not important, yeah. but they are. And so if you have a memoir, even if you've overcome cancer or anything, that could be a memoir. There are so many ways you can write books now, and with the help of a person that's helping, you know, I'm, this is my training ground. So whenever I'm training, I work for little or nothing. I used to make $2 a page when I started out as a content editor, and, um, and I found out later I got a call saying, no, you're supposed to be making $8 a page. This is Whoa. Yes, and so that's my – but, I, you know, I've dropped it with the – economy and so forth, and, you know, I try to give a reasonable deal for new writers. Mm-hmm. But companies, wow. you know, and you get a cheaper price if you write for a company at first, but you get more books, you know, you might get 600 mm-hmm. or 800 But then, uh, but with bigger companies like the one that I've started with, they're starting at 3000 Now I'll go up as the people, you know, once I prove myself, then you go up. And like I said, I've made mm-hmm. as much as 15000 on a book. As writers, wow. you cannot... You don't need to be a starving artist, and you have to be able to, as you say, diversify, stretch your talent, and do what you need to do to be able to write your books, uh, honor your muse. I listened to Viola, what is it, Viola Davis, the one who won the Academy Award. Yes, yes, yes. I love what you said about honor your art, Uh honor your art, that this is your art and your dreams. Don't let people, you know, hear, she... She's not the typical what you would have saw, you know, and she said that, oh, what's her name? I met her recently. The one who played in Sounder, what's the actress's name? Mm. You know, uh, she's been around for years, long. You talking about Cicely Tyson? Yeah, Cicely Tyson. That had been her inspiration, and she told it to her in the audience. It was the Golden Globes, or it was the one, the SAG Awards last weekend, and, um, so she was just, and they let her be the speaker for all the whole cast of the help. But I love what she said for writers: honor your art. Don't think that your art isn't important. Don't let it get drowned in bills, worrying about all this stuff because that stuff is going to be a hundred years from now. It won't even be here, but your books can be here. Wow, that's powerful because it is hard sometimes. Challenging, you get caught up in the rent or the mortgages due. And you, you sometimes you start doing other things other than writing. And like you said, the, uh, uh, the situations that we use to stop us from doing what our heart really wants to do, they're going to go away, and then your work won't even be there. So it'll be <laughs> that won't be a good thing. We talked a little earlier about ebooks and how technology is really it's changing the landscape of the book publishing industry. And it's not just the book publishing industry. It's changing the landscape and, and for the marketing and a lot of other industries. It's just changing things with the, the the emergence of cloud and some of these other software programs and, it's, it's, and, and how some bloggers are able to make, I mean, hundreds of thousands of dollars. It's Things that w- didn't happen, like you said, when you had your papers spread out all over the table when you first started publishing your first book, to now. I mean, technology has had a profound impact on the book yeah. industry and the music industry. The music industry, uh, when Napster first came out, they were like punching Napster in the face. And they and instead, they could have worked with Napster and made billions. And the mm-hmm. book industry took a hit. For like 10 years, I mean, it took a major hit. And now they're getting into the digital music licensing. But how do you, and we only have about five minutes left, but how do you see technology, Maxine, further changing the book industry over just the next two to three years? Well, the way I see it, 
it's going to be harder to get book deals unless you've already proven yourself. So mm. the way you can prove yourself is to sell a lot of people sell a lot of books online. They got a lot of ways to sell your books on Amazon. Amazon sells ninety percent of most ebooks. Uh, a lot of people become, you know, celebrities online like and they had bidding wars for that Amanda Hawkins book. So it makes a difference. And I've got a book where the guy has sold um it is how he sold one million ebooks in five months. Oh, I can't think wow. of it. But it's um you know, so it's really a thing you I, you got to make it happen. You can't sit wait for somebody to make it happen for you. The old rules don't apply, and the only thing that's certain now is life is subject to change. But one thing that doesn't change is that if you get out there, believe in your product, believe in your dream, and hustle and make it work, people will come to you knocking versus you begging for a book deal because it's harder to get them than it was even a year ago. It's harder for me to get book deals for people, so I'm just kind of standing back because I rolled it out a couple of times last year. The end of the year, I got six book deals, but I had already kind of said, hey, I've got to sit back and wait till this thing loosens up. And it's uh, and it's the ones I got the book deals for, they were active on Facebook. They had um, mm. been at a lot of conferences. They had big platforms. You cannot get a book deal just because you've written a good book now. Uh, and, you know, and it's a little different for other races. But I'm reading their blogs. They're complaining. And when the white agents who used to get six-figure book deals or 50000 for a starter, now they're getting two or 3000 It's It's yeah. bad. And then I was yeah. working with a white agent on a deal for a movie deal for one of my writers. She told me she was just sick of it. So that's how bad. And she's one who yeah. got movie deals for major books. But never give up on seeing your book on the on the screen. Uh, the book they just did this. Matter of fact, most of the Academy Award winners were books. I mean, wow. the nominees yeah. for them, and um, this one that they had last weekend. Uh, I can't. She's, it's about a bounty hunter, so it makes me think of Z. Um, one for the money, and there's a whole list of books. And I remember saying, I mean, she gets commands big money. So series are a great way to go. I'm just starting my series, and I'm wanting my series to be like the L.A. Blues version. I mean, the L.A. version of uh, what was that? The Wire. I love The Wire. Oh, it was a cross section okay. of society. So you're going to see a cross section of issues in society. You know, we've had our first black serial killer out here. And it caught him with the technology. So I take technology, and I watched a lot of NCIS while I was up in this hotel, and that gave me a lot of ideas. And this, I mean, you could try to cut up a body, they could still find you now. Yeah. (laughs) So crime does not pay, and you got to take a stand in your writing for good or bad. That's where a lot of people don't take a stand on the issue. Uh, And make your characters come alive, make them courageous. They can be flawed because, I mean, Z, at one point she hits rock bottom as an alcoholic. She's out there drinking with the wino. Drinking. The last day she remembers, she had drank, shared a bottle of wine with a wino. That's how bad her blackout was. Mm. But she comes back. and so, But she's full of courage, and that's what it takes to keep. Don't nobody want to be with a wino. I just had a rejection on a book, and within the first few pages, I saw that the character was a whiner. And so I ended up losing the client because I thought that she needed an editor. But I nobody wants to spend 400-some pages, let alone five or 600, with a whiner. They want to see people yeah. who are proactive take charge. And that's what you have yeah. to do with your life. Take charge of your life. We have no control over our death, sometimes even illnesses. But, you know, we can try to control our diet and our food and what we eat. Mm-hmm. But some things might be genetic. But we can't control our thoughts and we can't control what we write and trying to leave a legacy for the next generation. Oh, my goodness, Maxine. I cannot thank you enough. We have, this show has just blown, and I just mean blown by, and I have so many questions I wanted to ask you. First, I'll just say congratulations on your series book, L.A. Blues, and, and I've read Maxine's work for Off the Shelf Business. You will definitely want to pick up a copy of L.A. Blues and some of uh, Maxine's other work. Then, and L.A. Blues is a series book, so you can follow along with the and the other characters in the book: The Ebony Tree, Hostage of Lies, the anthology Secret Lovers, and Never Knew Love Like This Before. And you a place just, called can, Home. I also have a place called Home. All in the Family is another uh, anthology I'm in. 
and Saturday morning. So that's five anthologies, and I was also in Proverbs for the people, so that's six. Um, wow. So as I was building the business, I did little short pieces, but now I'm back to novel writing. and um, So it feels good because I only have the three and the fourth with the one, and L.A. Blues 2 will be out May 29th. Okay, May 29th, L.A. Blues. You can look for Get the first copy now at MaxineThompson.com, M-A-X-I-N-E-T-H-O-M-P-S-O-N. Again, MaxineThompson.com. The first book in the series, L.A. Blues, is out now, and Maxine read a wonderful excerpt for us here today on Off the Shelf. And then you can look for the second book in the series, L.A. Blues, in May of this year. Just keep Check her website. And she's on Facebook and Twitter, and you can follow her and keep up with her there. Maxine, I thank you, thank you, thank you for calling in from the West Coast to the East Coast to connect with us here on Off the Shelf. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in, folks in in the chat room and and who had called in and checking in through your mobile devices. And to those who tune in over on Blake Radio, thank you for tuning in today to Off the Shelf. As I always tell you, remember, you're so incredibly valued and so truly blessed. Come back next Saturday, 11 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, and we'll bring you another awesome guest in the literary world. And now go out and create a fabulously good day for yourself. Maxine, thank you so much, and I'll thank send you an email. Thank you. All right. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Be and blessed. Thanks for listeners. Bye-bye. You too. Bye-bye.